5 is our text this morning, as you are likely already there from the reading. The, um, for those of you who, are not, who have not been here with us on our study through the church, we have some visitors this morning. We want to welcome you and let you know that we're super glad that you're here and do our best to get you somewhat caught up on, on where we're at in our study um, as we go through the scriptures, looking at what the church's purpose is and, and some different things in regards to the church. Um, where we find ourselves now is studying the spiritual gifts. You'll notice in the back in the foyer, there's a, a board back there. And um, we want to encourage you to get involved by um, taking one of the little sticky notes and putting your name on it or someone else's name on it. And then placing that somewhere on the board where you feel like um, it might be one of your spiritual gifts or someone else's spiritual gifts. I noticed someone this morning was back there and um, they, when they left, I think there was like five or six uh, sticky notes on there. And I'm assuming that wasn't all about them, but they were identifying people that they know and what their spiritual gifts are. That's really what we, we desire from this process. As we were praying this morning over at the, in our, in our Sunday morning prayer meeting, um, the comment was made, let's pray that this board, this board remains humble. Amen? And uh, that was, you know, a board can't be humble, but you can understand how this process can lead to, to pride and, and people feeling um, elevated and important and significant, and that's not its purpose. Uh, we're wanting to identify where you're, where you're fitting into God's purpose and where he can use you to accomplish his work and his will. So if you would help us, by identifying where you feel like you're gifted, and it may not just be one area on there, you may be gifted in a few areas. And then identifying if you know somebody well and you're like, you know, such and such a person is just so compassionate, I just know that that is their gifting. Um, put their name on it, put it in that area, and then as that board fills up, we'll start to make a list and we'll start to develop some um, committees and some teams and, and begin to move forward in those areas. Our, our goal as a church is just to become a well-rounded ministry that is reaching the lost, that is um, communicating compassion to, the, to each other and to our community around us, that is um, accessing people's gifts of, of communication, people's gifts of um, outreach, people's gifts of compassion, leadership, uh, administration, and I'm not going to be able to name them all off, but um, you can see them back there. We want to identify where your fit is so that we can begin to encourage, um, develop processes, and also opportunities for you to utilize your gift uh, here at Grace Bible Church. Uh, someone asked me last week, and a lot of this morning's message is based upon questions that were a result of last week's message, and so that's a good thing. But somebody asked me last week, they said, I, I always thought that spiritual gifts were just meant to be used inside of these walls. And so I was always looking for ways to fit my ministry into the walls that are here and, and ministering to each other these things. And the comment was, when you started mentioning about compassion and about ministering to homeless people or people that are hurting in other ways, they said that was really eye-opening to them. That, and I just encouraged them. I was like, absolutely. The church is the, is the hands and the feet of Christ. We, we minister through the church. Now, that means that we want to know your gifts so that we can team you up so that we can do a better job of reaching um, our community with the gospel. And so the, so the hands and the feet are here doing the, work, doing the work, 
And, but, we're, but we're doing it all over the place, to, depending on what our, what our gifting might be. So help us out with that, if you would, in putting your name on those lists. And we'll begin the process, again, of developing um, some categories and some uh, teams. And then we'll meet with you and, and, and start to move forward with how this looks for the future. And we, we need to know that as we work in our spiritual gift, the Holy Spirit is working through us. And there's no one better... There's no one better to accomplish a task than a person through whom the Holy Spirit is working in that area. And oftentimes when it comes to churches, what we have is we have people fitting themselves into categories because there's a need there, right? It's kind of like a puzzle. There's a puzzle piece missing, so you just create one and you just kind of cram it in there. I think that's how it happens a lot of times in the churches. What we want to do is we want to find out what that piece of that puzzle is. We want to fit that in there nicely so that it, so that it fits the picture that God is trying to draw um, here at Grace Bible Church. And I think that can be all of our goals. So we want to find out that place where you fit, where God has a purpose for you in, in his body and in his church. This morning, you'll notice that our reading dealt with um, primarily with prayer. The title of the message this morning is The Prayer of Faith or um, I've also titled it a few other things in, 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 on the journey, um, the power of prayer. Um, is, prayer a quick, is prayer a quick fix? Um, some other things that just kind of uh, stuck out to me as I was going through this process. We looked last week at the, all of the gifts, but, but two that we looked at were the gift of healing and the gift of miracles. And uh, these are two gifts that are somewhat there's a lot of controversy associated with these two gifts, and, and we have to be very careful with how we deal with these two gifts, and we presented them as the, as the prayer team. Uh, in, in other words, we do still see miracles today, amen? Okay, and we, we do still see miracles today. We do still see people getting healed today. The difference is, is we, we don't believe that, like the apostles, that God actually gave them power to walk around and to um, to whatever they wanted to do to heal people or to perform miracles, we believe that the Holy Spirit does still work through us and that the Holy Spirit is still performing miracles and the Holy Spirit is still um, healing people. The way, that we, the way that we see in James 5 that we access that, that we participate in, that is by prayer. We ask the Holy Spirit to perform these miracles. We ask the Holy Spirit to um, perform these healings. Darren prayed this morning that his, was it your brother? His uncle would be healed. And he's praying that God would heal his uncle. And he's trusting the Lord. If that's going to happen, it's going to be the Lord's work, right? Darren doesn't have any power or ability to heal his uncle, but he does know that God has the power and the ability to heal his uncle. So he's, asked, he's accessing the one who does have the authority to perform the healing. So we want to be very careful that we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, that there are no healings anymore. Because I, I, I don't know about you, but in the last year, I've prayed for someone to be healed. That there are no miracles anymore. Because I don't know about you, I pray for miracles all the time. I'm praying that it will rain in Northern California. Right? And that would be a miracle. But I'm praying that that will happen. Because it will be good for those people there to, to, to deal with some of those fires. If we don't trust and we don't believe that God is capable of performing miracles or we don't trust, we don't believe that God is capable of healing people, what happens over time is our prayers become very, very minimalistic. We pray very little, 
or we pray very small. The more we believe what God is capable of and we trust in his ability and his power, the more, we'll, the more consistent and constant and faithful and fervent we will be in our prayer life. I believe that one of the ways that the devil has quelched his, the Lord's church today is by squelching our prayer life. We're not accessing, we're no longer accessing the one who can actually do the miracles that we need him to do. And reality of it is, folks, I think we would all agree, we need miracles today, don't we? We need to see God moving again in, in a supernatural, powerful way. And how are we going to do that? We're going to do that by falling on our knees before him, and we're going to do it by pleading with him for it to happen and trusting him that it will happen. So with that, I really want to deal this morning with some thoughts out of James 5 that was already read to you about our prayer life and about how to be an effective prayer and what does the scripture say about prayer. Let me give you some things that might be confusing um, based upon modern day teachings about prayer, miracles, and, um, and healings. Prayer, miracles, and healings. The first confusion is, is people believe when I pray, I should expect God to do whatever I ask him to do. Okay, when I pray and ask God for something, I should expect him to do whatever I've asked him to do. Right? Matthew 21, 22 says, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive. Okay, so can we take that to the bank? If we ask God for anything, if I ask God for a million dollars, should I expect that in my bank account today there's going to be a million dollars? Everybody's really quiet. Everybody's really quiet this morning. Everybody's hoping I'll say yes. <laughs> Sorry. Can't give you that kind of hope. This is a confusion. This is a, this is a, a teaching amongst modern-day uh, modern um, false teachers that prayer is such that you can ask God for something and you can expect that he's going to give it to you simply because, because you ask for it. Okay, that's error. That's, that's false teaching. The second error is, if God doesn't give me what I've asked for, I didn't have enough Wow, you guys all know. You've heard that one before, haven't you? If I didn't get what if I didn't get what I asked God for, then I must not have had enough faith, and therefore all I have to do is muster up more faith. So people are trying to muster up faith all the time because they want something. There's something that they're asking God for, and they believe based upon false teachers that they can get it if they have enough faith when they ask for it, okay? This is another false teaching, okay? This is a very concerning false teaching because a lot of modern day, um, what, we, what, what we call faith healers and guys like that, um, miracle workers on television, what they do is, is they go around and they quote unquote heal people and they tell you that if you don't experience healing, it's not because I'm not a faith healer, it's because you didn't have enough Okay, good. You guys have seen that before as well. I'm glad to know that. So that's error. That's not biblical. That is heretical. Okay? When God heals somebody, especially in the New Testament time, it's based upon his grace. And um, it's not about how much faith we have or how little faith we have. 
The third error that you want to consider is that God doesn't have a purpose for sickness, poverty, pain, or problems. This is another error that's being taught, that God doesn't have a purpose for our sickness, that God doesn't want us to be sick, and therefore, um, because there's no purpose in our sickness, we just need to trust more, believe more, have more faith, and we will ultimately be delivered from our sickness because God has no purpose for our sickness. God has no plan for the difficulty um, that we're going through. Listen to what Isaiah 45 and verse 7 says. I form light and I create darkness. I make well-being and I create calamity. I am the Lord who does all of these things. And then Job says it this way in chapter 2 and verse 10. But he said to her, talking to his wife, his, his wife has just told him to curse God and die for all of the things that they have lost. And here's what he says to his wife. You speak as one of the foolish women who speak. Shall we receive good from the Lord, and shall we not receive evil? In other words, Job's challenges to his wife is, shall we always expect blessing from the Lord, and not, and not sometimes expect difficulty from the Lord? You could, also, you could also state that statement with, should we always expect blessing from the Lord that doesn't also come with difficulty? Some of the blessings that God bestows upon us, some of the blessing that he blesses us with is full of difficulty. You've heard the old, the old story of the guy who asked the Lord to give him patience, right? He, he asked his professor in college, he says, he says professor, I, I need patience. Can you pray for me patience? And his professor got down and he said, let's pray. And he began to pray that the Lord would send all these trials and tribulations and heartache and suffering to this young man. And the young man stopped the professor in the middle of his prayer and said, stop. He's like, I, I was asking for patience, not for all of these things. And his professor in his wisdom and years of experience said, patience comes through these things. And so sometimes we don't understand and we don't know what God is doing and what God is working out. And so when we ask God to deliver us from sickness, we ask God to deliver us from poverty, we ask God to deliver us from pain or problems, and he doesn't do it. If our mindset is that God has no purpose for these things, we must con conclude that there's something wrong. But if we understand that God has a purpose in all of these things, we, we can um, be okay in these situations. So I want to get to our text this morning. There are three things that I want, I want to deal with in regards to prayer. The problems is number one, if you're taking notes. The problems are the things that, that prayer is capable of dealing with. The things that we can pray for and we can expect to see God's hand move in these situations through our prayer life. Um, in other words, when we, when we reach out to God, what areas of our life can we expect him to intervene? Are, are there areas that God says, no, you know, that's just really not my area of, of expertise? Are there areas where, it's, where God says, you know, that's just really too minor or too insignificant that I really don't want to deal with that right now? Are there areas where God says, that's too big for me? I can't handle that. Are there, are there areas that our prayer life is not going to have an impact? Have you ever heard somebody say, and I, I, I will say this to you confessingly because I've said it before, 
I've asked people, can I do anything for you? And they're like, no, no, there's nothing you can do for me. And then I said to them, well, the least thing I can do is pray. Wow, isn't that interesting, right? Is it not the greatest thing that I can do for you is pray? But our minds go to thinking of it in a very minor way, insignificant way, instead of elevating it to where it belongs, which is very significant and important in situations. Number two is the petitioners. The scriptural text gives us some people that should be praying. And um, who should be praying about situations and circumstances. And then the last that I want to deal with this morning is the actual prayer. I want to unfold for you what is the prayer of faith and how it affects our life. Okay? The problems, number one. The prayer of faith or prayer is the solution for all kinds of problems. You'll find it in our text. The Bible says in verse number 13, it gives us our first category that prayer is capable of impacting. First category that prayer can, can, can touch on in your life. Matthew 19, 26, the disciples are asking the Lord about what he's capable of doing, and his answer is, with man, these things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. He says in verse number 13, he says, if anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. The word here literally means somebody who's going through hardship, somebody who is facing difficulty, affliction, or trouble. And this is the type of person who's dealing with mental illnesses, emotional illnesses, relational difficulties, financial difficulties, or or just simply challenges in life. That God is ready and he is capable of meeting the task for any difficulty that you're facing in your life right now. And you might be sitting here today and you might be struggling financially or relationally or you might know someone who has uh, discouragement or depression in their life. And, and I know that there are a lot of plans out there and a lot of um, places that they can go and a lot, a lot of medications that they can take. But, but folks, ultimately, the answer to all of these problems is prayer. It is touching the hem of God's garment. It is reaching out to the one who is able to take those circumstances away. I'm not opposed to taking medications for these things, but what I want you to understand this morning is is that those medications are not the solution. God is the solution. Jesus Christ is the one who is capable of healing those who are broken. In any of these circumstances that we face, God is capable of bringing healing. You see, the issue is, when we get to, we get to at the end of the day, the issue is, if I, if I have a difficulty and I pray that God would take it away, and he doesn't take it away, then it, it just simply means I need to find another way for it to get taken away. We don't look at it and say, actually, God has a purpose in not taking it away from me. The Apostle Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 12 that God sent a thorn in his flesh or a difficulty in his life. And he prayed three times that God would take it away from him. And then in the end, he realized that God must have had a purpose for it. And therefore, he begins to glory in his infirmity or in his difficulty. God is capable. God is fit for the task of healing us, 
of caring for us. And I know that he uses tools, he uses vessels, and some of those are, are doctors, and some of that is medicine, and these things are tools that God uses. But folks, at the end of the day, let us trust in God for those things and those healings. Even if it is through a means that he has ordained and organized, may our thanks be to God when we experience healing. And when we don't experience healing, may we recognize and realize that there's a purpose and a plan in that situation. May we never be sick without praying. May we never face disease without praying. Even in the worst of situations where, or the slightest of situations where we're able to to go to doctors and get healing today through medicine and through wisdom and intellect and knowledge, may we still never face those things without praying. Amen? Because ultimately the solver of that problem is God. He is the one who deserves our, our honor and our, our um, request and our praise at the end of the day. The second thing that the Lord is, is capable of dealing with is, is our illnesses, our sicknesses. The first, the first thing that uh, it's alliterated for your sake, uh, suffering is the first thing. The second thing is sickness. He says, if anybody is, is sick amongst you, let him call the elders of the church together and pray over him. This deals with physical diseases, um, cancer. Uh, in the Bible days, it was leprosy or dropsy or issues, issue of blood for 12 years or a, a lot of different things that people had. This was, a, um, this was God being capable in those situations. Diseases, I wrote down disabilities, blind, lame, deaf, paralyzed, wither, hands and feet, and so forth. We see the Lord consistently performing miracles in the Gospels to bring healing in these areas. God is capable of bringing deliverance in these areas. A sickness, the flu, the cold, fever, stomachache. I know we've got some calls this week to please pray for me because I'm dealing with this and this. And things are just kind of popping up here and there, aren't they? God is capable to the task, isn't he? He is capable of dealing with our illnesses, our physical illnesses. And, and can I submit to you that God cares? That he hasn't, he hasn't left the reality of the things of this world and doesn't care anymore? Our sicknesses, God is capable to the task of those things. Our sinfulness, as you'll see later in the, in the passage of Scripture here, he says, and if you confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. He talks about your sins being forgiven. The, the, um, if you're sick, that you pray over somebody and, the, and their sins will be forgiven. And this is referring to spiritual sickness. God is not just capable of handling our sicknesses. God is not just capable of handling our suffering. But God is capable of handling our sinfulnesses. He's able to deliver us from our sins. You remember the story of the man on the, on the cot who hadn't walked and the, the people bring him to Jesus and Jesus Christ tells him to take up his bed and walk. And, or he tells him, first, your sins are forgiven you, right? Which is a sin issue, healing him from sins. And then the Pharisees begin to challenge him and attack him. And he says, is it easier for me to say your sins be forgiven you or take up your bed and walk? And, and he says, take up your bed and walk. And the man gets up out of his bed and takes it and walks. What's the picture? Jesus is stating, I have the power, just as much as I have the power to, to 
over this person's condition. I have the power over this person's spiritual condition. I have the power to forgive sins. Listen, folks, Jesus Christ has the power to forgive sins today. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter matter how big your sins are or how small your sins are. Jesus Christ has the power to forgive sins, and Jesus Christ has the power to set you free from those sins. You may be someone that's here this morning that is, has been set free from the condemnation of sin, but you still face the power of sin every day of your life. You still feel the, 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 the stronghold that is sin in your life. You're still facing these same temptations, and you're still giving in to them on a regular basis. You've experienced the salvation of the Lord spiritually, but you're, you're, you're struggling with it practically. Listen to me, Jesus Christ is up for the task, not just to deliver you from your sins uh, salvifically, but to deliver you from your sins practically, that you can walk through the day and be a winner for Jesus. He's big enough. He's capable enough. How do we access that? We access that through prayer. It is the power of touching our God's desires and his power and his strength for ourselves, experiencing the deliverance that only he can give. Prayer is the way to be victorious over our sinfulness. The Bible tells us in Romans 10 and verse 13, for whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered, saved, right? So whoever shall cry out to God for help shall be delivered. Verse 11 of that same passage says, whoever puts their trust in the Lord will never be ashamed. What is is the power of prayer? What is the power of our God? There is no limitations to the power of of our God and what he can accomplish. Hebrews 4.16 says, speaking about the the high priest and how Jesus Christ was the savior and the high priest of our souls. And he says this in verse 16, let us now therefore come boldly into the throne room of grace. Those two words are, are almost oxymorons. They're opposites. The throne room is a place of judgment and grace is a place of kindness and forgiveness. But we can enter into the throne room of grace because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Jesus Christ is bigger than your sins. And his salvation is capable of delivering you from those same sins. He says, come into the throne room of grace that you might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the problem that Jesus Christ is bigger than Number two is the petitioners who should be praying. The text tells us about five or six different groups. I'm just going to go through them very quickly. The Bible says, number one, in verse number 13, if anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. This is personal prayer. This is praying for your own difficulties, praying for your own needs. Okay? Just one chapter back in James 4, the Lord says, you have not because you, because you ask not. Praying for our own needs. 
Matthew talks about, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. This is the personal pursuit of deliverance. This is not just asking, but it's pursuing after deliverance. It's personal prayer. Pray for your situation and your circumstance. Pray for it yourself. Jesus did it in the garden. He said, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Jesus prayed for himself, but he also had others praying for him, and we'll get to that. Personal prayer, number one. Number two is pastoral prayer. He says, if anyone is sick amongst you, let him call the elders of the church to come and to pray over you and anoint you with oil that you might be healed. This is the representative of the church, the pastors or the elders who are called into a situation to pray over someone. All this does is it brings the community of the church into your situation. Those elders and pastors have no power on their own to heal this person. What we are saying when we bring the elders into a situation is we're saying the church is in agreement about this situation. And the church is the one for whom Jesus Christ died, right? We're bringing the church into this situation, Lord. The church in harmony and in agreement through the representation of elders and pastors are going to pray over this situation in full agreement that this is what our desire is. This is the pastoral prayer. Bringing the church's involvement into a situation. The Bible says where two or three are gathered together, there am I in their midst. There is something significant about a church that comes together and prays over a situation or a circumstance. There's something significant about elders coming together and praying over a certain situation or circumstance. Number three, partnership prayer. He says, confess your faults to one another and pray for each other. This is just praying, uh, the church body praying for each other. This is a partnership. You have, maybe you have prayer partners or prayer warriors in your life or prayer friends or whatever you might call them, but you, you have people that you call on to pray for you. Family members, church members, neighbors, friends. There's so much benefit to this, but again, it brings other people into the scenario that they're praying for you, but it also creates an opportunity for them to hold you accountable in that situation. Maybe what you're asking for isn't right. Accountability. Partnering in prayer with each other for the glory of the Lord. Number four, pure prayer. The Bible says that the prayer the fervent, I'm going to give you the King James Version quote because it's what I remember. This text has a little bit of a different reading, but the fervent effectual prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. It refers to the type of person. I believe that he's referring to, in this text, the type of person that it would be gifted in the prayer life. It has a special gift in this area. Why? If, if, if answer to prayer is built totally on grace, God's grace and God's favor towards an individual, it's not built upon reward. He's not rewarding us for things that we've done, but he's blessing us with his grace because we are his children, right? So why is it necessary that a righteous man pray? And a much gets accomplished, 
Let me give you the answer to that here in a little bit. James, or John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and I will do it and it will be done for you. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever, here is a promise that you can ask anything of God and he will do it as long as you are abiding in his word and his word is abiding in you, right? So the issue is, when we go back to the question before that, a righteous man, and then we see one who is abiding in the word, the issue is when we pray in harmony with the word of God, we can know the answer will be yes. When we pray in harmony with the son of God, we can know that the answer will be yes. So praying, the reason why he talks about a righteous man praying is because a righteous man is somebody who is in the word, who has studied and knows the will of God and therefore will pray in accordance with the will of God. A pure, a pure prayer, a, a righteous person praying, somebody who is gifted in this area, knows the will of God, knows the word of God and is able to is able to, to pray in such a way as to see God bring forth his will in the situation. A persistent prayer is the last one in this section. A persistent prayer, somebody who prays constantly. The text talks about persevering in prayer. To persevere, he uses the idea of Job. He uses the idea of the Old Testament prophets. The, the idea of persevering, of, uh, of continuing in prayer until we see the Lord's hand in our lives. The word, the number which we see in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul prays three times that he would experience healing. The number three in scriptures is just simply a reference to completeness. He prayed until he was done. And I wrote this note down, don't stop praying until you experience healing or till you see that God's purpose is not to experience healing. Don't stop praying. How many of you have prayed for somebody for years and God brought forth fruits? Don't stop. Don't stop praying. There'll be times that you'll pray and God will make it very clear to you the answer is no. And the answer is no for a reason. There'll be times that you'll pray and you'll have no peace if the answer is no and the Lord just says keep praying. Keep praying, persevere in your prayer life. Number three this morning, the prayer. Lastly, I want you to take down, if you, if you have a pen and paper, take down some thoughts because this will be helpful for you. This is how the prayer of faith works. This is how the prayer of faith works. Some important attributes about the prayer of faith. Okay? Remember this. Prayer is not tuning God's Prayer is not tuning God in on your needs and desires. Prayer is tuning you in on God's desires. Prayer is when we come to a place where we're seeking to find out what God's will is in a situation, not where we're seeking to share God with God what our will is in a situation. When Jesus prays, tells us how to pray, he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The issue is not our will be done, is it? 
The issue is, Lord, your will be done. What prayer does is prayer tunes us in. The more we pray, the more we find that we find where God is at on certain situations and circumstances. We find out what God's heart is. God, please do this. No, okay, I know where God's heart is now on this situation. Later, I know where God's heart is now on this situation. Listen to me, folks. A lot of people pray and ask God for something and it doesn't happen and their conclusion is is he's just not capable. That's not right. He might be sharing with you something about his will so that you can know where he's at. So that you can pray in his will, which is what the apostles talk about on a regular basis. Prayer is not tuning God into your will. It's tuning us into God's will. Prayer, pray, pray. These are some some points here that you can write down. Attributes of a powerful prayer life. Pray, trusting and desiring God's will. How can I know that every prayer I ever make will be answered with a yes How can you know that every prayer you ever make will be answered with a yes? Is that you always end your prayer and the passion of your prayer is not my will be done, but thy will be done. It's when I pray in such a way that I express to God my desires, but I desire his desires. Then... When he answers my prayer, if the heart of my prayer is, God, thy will be done, my answer to my prayer is always going to be yes. If the passion of my prayer is, my will be done, the answer to my prayers can often vary as to what they might be. The prayer of faith is expressing my will Asking, expecting, and hoping in God's will. When we have this, we can have confidence that our prayers will always be answered in the affirmative. Listen, folks, it is so important when you're dealing with the prayer of faith that you understand that you're not seeking to get what you want. You're seeking to get what he wants. And it might not always line up with what you want. But praise be to God. Right? Praise be to God that he would communicate with us what his will is in that situation and in that circumstance. That's what the prayer of faith is. The prayer of faith will will heal the sick. The prayer of faith will heal the sick because the healing of the sick is whatever God decides it is. It may be that that healing comes through staying in that sickness. How many people will be sick in heaven? So the healing of the sick is going to happen. True? In God's timing. In God's way. Pray, trusting, and desiring that God's will be done. 
John 14, 13 and 14 says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This does not mean to ask in Jesus' name. It means to ask in Jesus' character. Right? It's not if I say, Jesus please do this for me, that I'm guaranteed I'm going to get it. It is to say, when you use the word name in scriptures, you're referring to someone's character. If you ask anything that is in harmony with Jesus' character, it will be done. So listen to me. When you ask for something, you might find that you get a little bit closer to God's character you might find that you understand God further by his answer to your prayers. I find it so hard, a verse in this text, where the Lord says in verse number 11, Behold, we consider these blessings, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. And just watch this wonderful thing. I've never read the book of Job and sought to see the Lord as being compassionate and merciful. Matter of fact, a natural reading of that book is not to see the Lord compassionate and merciful. But to understand the end of the story and to understand that God is expressing to Job through great suffering his compassion and his mercy. Sometimes it's an, the answer to our prayers is such that it is meant to, to show us God's character in a very real, intimate way. And we should pray in such a way as to know his character more so than getting what we desire in that moment. Imagine had the Father answered Jesus' prayer of let this cup pass from me. But ultimately, Jesus' prayer was Thy will be done. And God did answer that prayer. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything that is according to his will, he hears us. And if we we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked from him. In other words, if you ask anything that's in accordance with God's will, it's as if you already had the answer. You already have the request. And the answer is yes. Pray, trusting and desiring for God's will to be done. Number two, pray patient no matter how long the process takes. Pray patient no matter how long the process takes. The Lord in this text of Scripture tells us to look at the prophets and the apostles, the New Testament prophets, the apostles, the ones who were the the office of those, the forerunners for the church. He says, note them. Here are guys that didn't see fruits for years. Most of them didn't see fruits until after they had passed away. Pray patient no matter how long the process takes. For some, it will be an eternity. They will never see fruits in this life, but they will see fruits in the next. Hebrews 11 is a picture of that. The Lord's prayer, thy will be done, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We know that that's not going to happen until the Lord sets up his kingdom on the earth, right? 
but we still pray for it. We pray for it no matter how long it takes to receive the answer because there's power in prayer. Number three, pray hopeful no matter how difficult the journey. Pray hopeful no matter how difficult the journey might be. Again, we'll point to the life of Job here. The text points to the life of Job. He says, Job is a good example of this, somebody who suffered possibly likely for a year with extraordinary sufferings. The Bible says about Job that he never accused God, he never um, blamed God, he never cursed God, and he never sinned with his mouth in the process. The text tells us don't grumble against each other. One of the easy things to do when you're going through this process of sanctification is to grumble against the ones that the Lord is using to sanctify you. Don't grumble against each other. How can I not grumble against somebody that's causing me frustration because I'm trusting the Lord on the journey? You see, that's what it's all about. Lord, thy will be done. Work out whatever you want in my life. Pray hopeful no matter how difficult the journey might be. Hebrews 2 and verse 10, for it was fitting that he, for whom, by whom, by, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. And Philippians 2.14 says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Pray hopeful no matter how difficult the journey. Number five, Pray humble, pray humble, not making promises. He says here, above all, my brothers, do not swear. And I think this applies in two ways. Number one, if you're praying for somebody, don't promise them anything. Again, this is something that we see on television. We see these promises being made to these people that are being prayed over. You're healed now. Well, don't make that promise. You have no right to make that promise. You, you, we, we do that with salvation. We lead people in a prayer and then we, we stand up and we shake their hand and we say they're saved now. We've just made a promise to them. We have no grounds to make that promise to them at all. Do you know who knows if they're saved or not? There's one person who knows if they're saved or not and that is God. He is the author of their salvation and the finisher of it. He says here, don't make any promises you're praying for somebody, don't make any promises to them. And then if you're, praying, if you're praying to God, don't make any promises to him. In other words, don't try to make an exchange with God. We've heard this before too in our culture, in our world. Lord, if you just do this for me, I'll do this for you. Do you know what that makes you if you don't follow through? Be careful in a prayer life. Pray humbly, not making promises. And then lastly, pray confessing and not demanding reward. He says here that we confess our faults to one another. This is just in our, in our prayer life, we're always mindful of the fact that we are unworthy. We're always mindful of the fact that when we pray to God, we recognize that we are not worthy of any of the blessings that he is going to bestow upon us. None of them, we're, we are worthy of none. So we pray confessing our faults one to another. We pray recognizing that we're not worthy. David prayed that way in Psalm 51 where he identifies his sin. 
He not only prayed in such a way as to identify his unworthiness, but here's another reason why David confessed his faults, was David knew this, that I deserve condemnation, and if God condemns me, I do not want God's character to be impugned. I don't want God to ever be questioned for judging me in a way that I deserve to be judged. So when he prayed, he prayed with his sin at the forefront. God, may you and your character never be impugned by my self-righteousness. If the world around you and the world around me sees your judgment on me, may they never question that God is judging a righteous person. Because God doesn't judge the righteous. May they know that we're all sinners and we all deserve God's judgment and anything and everything good that we experience is at the hands of God's mercy and God's grace. My challenge to you this morning, folks, is that we recapture the significance, the powerful nature of prayer. And might we spend time each day on our knees touching, communicating, working with the one that is capable of accomplishing what is good and what is right. Let us remember, we have not because we ask not. Prayer is important. Let us also remember that when we ask, thy will be done is the conclusion, not my will be done. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for giving us the privilege to pray, to come into your presence, to express our our desires and our concerns and our struggles. And Lord God, to watch you work your will, display your character, manifest your power in those situations and to do it all for your glory. I pray that you will, you will encourage us this morning, that you will excite us again about coming to you with our prayers. We present our situations to you and know that what is good will be the result. I pray your blessing upon the remainder of our service and then this week that you, you, Lord God, will be glorified in and through us. In Christ's name.